Welcome to Rome. Is this a formal event or a social affair? Social. How many buttons? Two. And what style? Tactical. The man. The myth. The legend. John Wick. You're not very good at retiring. I'm working on it. Welcome to the Film Coterie. I'm Roger. I'm Adam. And I'm Matt. And it is great to be back for episode number, oh my gosh, four already? The Quattro. A month of podcasts, right? And this is for the week of February the 12th or 10th or 11th. This movie weekend, right? Yeah. It's John Wick week. That's all that matters. John Wick comes out this week. Yes, John Wick. And that will be our movie review in our next segment that we coming up the Thursday night movie review. But uh, I just thought we'd just kind of get into um, uh, what's been happening this week in film. You know, what, what, what do you guys been, have you had a chance to see anything, any news, anything exciting going on? Well, Disney announced the opening dates for both avatar land and the star Wars park. So avatar lands coming this year, May 27th. I don't understand avatar land. It's been in development forever. It's finally opening like the movie. Like the movie, you're going to go visit Pandora. And there's a couple rides in there. I don't know how many rides they have. Well, it's interesting that you guys mention Avatar Land because one of our later segments we're going to do is going to be instant classics. Movies you saw that instantly you thought were great, you know. And I almost put Avatar on that list. It's not on my list, but when I first saw it, I was just blown away at the theater. And I actually went and saw the movie three times over the course of a four-day weekend. I, I liked the movie so much. but Was it the movie or the, the cinematography, special effects, 3D, all that put together? I think it was the combination of all of that together. Just that, that eye candy that the movie was, you know. And um, But, you know, it doesn't... To me, for... <clears throat> excuse me, whether it's an instant classic or a regular classic, it has to have lasting appeal... And that's the reason I ended up leaving it off my list of, you know, instant classics or movies that I now would consider classics. I, I have no desire to go back and see it, you know? When do you think you've seen it last? I, well, I saw it about two years ago when I, I set up a Homeplex server in the house and I started ripping all my Blu-rays and DVDs and stuff, you know? And so when I ripped Avatar, I was like, oh, okay, um, yeah. And so I watched it and it was okay. I mean, you know, but... I, an hour into it, I was like, oh, I know where this is going. I could go have lunch or something. It's not a big deal. <laughs> how, many, how many times have you seen Avatar, Adam? I saw it twice in theaters, maybe just once at home when it first came out on Blu-ray. I've never watched it anywhere other than the theater, and I don't want to. I'll be honest with you. It's, I saw that. I saw the story. It was a tired story. I wasn't. Yeah, it blew me away the way it looked in theaters, but I just uh, no. But it raises a question. You have an Avatar land in Disney World, right? Yeah. So this movie came out seven years ago. Yeah, 2009. So odds are most, you know, Disney kind of caters to children and 
having that experience for kids and <laughs> how old would a kid have to be to have experienced Avatar to be able to appreciate it and then go to Disney World? I mean, you're talking like a 17-year-old? Well, they're not building it for the first movie. There's four sequels coming. It's a franchise. So that's why Disney's tacking on and spending the money to do this. I, I still just don't get it. No. So, so this is my question. So Disney, help me out here, Adam. Disney owns the future rights to Avatar and its and its promotion and all that. They, they're in bed with James Cameron. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, they don't own the movie. It's still Fox, as far as I know, but this is just a, a licensing deal. Well, the reason I ask is James Cameron doesn't like to play with other people. He's going to do what he wants to do. He's going to make the movie how he wants to make it. He don't care how much it costs. And frankly, whether I like that or not, I'm not necessarily a big fan of that. He's kind of earned that because his movies make huge money, right? So if Disney's investing hundreds of millions of dollars in a section of a theme park, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be interested to watch this play out to where how does James Cameron and Disney get along down the road? You know, that's that's gonna be the interesting thing for me. Yeah, I'm sure he was hands on through the whole development of the park. And they probably have some idea of what's coming in the sequels because they're going to want to expand the park and have it tie into the movie somehow. Yeah. The only way you get James Cameron to play is you have to bring him in and let him think he's the leader of the process. <laughs> so I'm sure you're right. He's probably been involved from the very beginning of the creation of the park. And it's interesting. I don't know where Avatar is in modern pop culture because when the movie first hit and we were going to Comic-Con and some other things, you saw a bunch of people dressed up as Navi. You know, and there are products and everything else, but right. it's just completely fallen off the radar. Well, you know, and I don't know if we said this earlier in a podcast. Well, probably not. But earlier, just in one of our film discussions, name three characters from the movie Avatar. You, you can't do it. I mean, I can't really. Jake Sully. Yeah, you know. And yeah. and Navi, the, his love interest or whatever. I, I, I Natiri. Yeah, okay. They're blue people. You know, but but now now, you know, here we have The Force Awakens comes out two, two, two years ago, and boom, Finn, Ray. I mean, you can BB-8, you're right down. You can, you can name off a half dozen of those characters. Why, does, why is there such a lasting impression with Star Wars, and yet Avatar, huge, I mean, one of the highest-grossing films of all time, there's, you can't name three characters in the movie, you know? And, 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 and we're sitting here at the table, we're all film lovers, and... I went and saw it three times in four days, and I have no desire to go back and see it now. Well, I think Avatar was a technological advancement as far as how you make a film, not so much an advancement in a screenplay for a film. Yeah, I think. And, and I think yeah. that has to lead. I mean, because when you think of it, like when someone says Avatar, the thing that immediately pops out to me was, man, that movie looked good for the time it was in. Right? It's not, man, that was a good story, or man, that was great acting. It was. That was shot differently than any film I'd seen up to that point. And if Disney could go back in time, I don't know that they'd spend the money on this Avatar park because at the time they did, they did not have the Star Wars license. They didn't own Lucasfilm. That's true, yeah. And we are getting Star Wars parks in 2019 on both coasts, and they're spending a fortune to get those ready. Those have worldwide appeal. I think Disney would have just focused on that instead of the land of Pandora. Yeah, absolutely. So... What other news and notes? Any, any what other anything else happened? What 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 have you guys been watching in film this week, or any, any other news or notes we want to talk about? I was finally able to see Arrival. Finally, nice. Good. Okay, give us your impressions, Matt. Uh, 
so um, I really enjoyed it. Um, the fact that um, they could take a story about alien language and turn it into that. Plus, I really like any story with time travel or yeah. any kind of messing with time in it. And the fact that merely learning their language would give you the ability to see your entire life laid out in front of you was kind of not, it was a nice little, um, it was teased throughout the whole movie, but it didn't put it all together until the end. And oh, what's funny is my dad does not like time travel movies. When he saw Ooh. this, we, we talked to him and, uh, he, I tried to tell him this isn't a time travel movie. It's just a perception of time movie, but I don't think he was buying my argument. He still lumps it in with time travel movies. Did he watch it? Yeah. Still upset by He the liked fact everything that, except that factor of the movie, the, the perception of Oh, you mean the premise, time. like the, the whole reason for the aliens being there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, for me, personally, I really, there was a deep spiritual meaning to that movie for me. I just really connected with, with that movie because there's something about there was a transcendence that happened and it's like, this is the level 2.0 for the human species. You know, in other words, they thought it's interesting. They thought the thing that was meant to destroy them and destroy the planet was actually the key to bring them to a higher level of understanding, consciousness, awareness, whatever you want to put on it. And that really spoke to me on a really deep level that there's something beyond, you know, I'm, I'm, I consider myself a very spiritual person to begin with. And it, it just like, it took it to another level for me to say, oh, man, if you go beyond the four dimensions that we understand into whatever existence those aliens were on, right? Then there was a transcendence that said, could could maybe that be where time, there's something beyond time where you can see time, instead of it being just linear, you can see time as a, as a, as a, as a whole thing from beginning to end. That, that was just very cool to me and just kind of, I just loved the fact that they spent all that money, made a great science fiction movie that didn't have an alien that they had to kill and fight at the end, you know, and a big shoot 'em up spaceships exploding and, you know, all this other stuff. I just thought it was, I loved Arrival. I thought it was great. When it never, it didn't take the intelligence of the audience for granted, if that makes sense. Like it didn't dumb down things or it just kind of opened and, went and told its story and got out. And another thing I really appreciated was it really showed you the amount of work that was involved to even get close to understanding what they were talking about. I mean, they, they had all these dozens of computers running cycles of programs and everything just trying to, and they would plot those ink blots, you know, those splatter things, the, the language, you know, and it was like, this is a very, it's not, this is not simple to get to this next step kind of a deal. I don't know. I thought that was pretty cool as well, too. So am I the only one here that's seen Independence Day Resurgence? Yes. No. <laughs> you may be. <laughs> that would be a pairing. Put those two movies together because you're going to see the opposite ends of Spectrum for Alien movies on those two. <laughs> Resurgence uh, is bad. Oh, I, I, I mean, I haven't seen it. I They announced the sequel to Independence Day and I was... I wasn't even a fan of the original Independence Day. Super advanced aliens and here's a computer virus. Have some. Um, but I like I like the end. I like Arrival. I like the way it ends with the essentially the question if if you know your entire life, would it make you, you know, how would you act? It's a great question. 
And Amy Adams is really good in it. I don't know how she didn't get a nomination, but and she's good in two movies this year. I know you saw Nocturnal Animals for your homework. I did. I did. I'll be honest. I liked her better in this than in Nocturnal Animals. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Do you think we're taking her for granted? Do you think she's going to be one of those actresses that's always good and you just can't spot the, the standout performances from her? Yeah, but I don't think it should be judged. I mean, I don't think her previous performances should have effect on what she's doing. I think each year it should be judging her on how she is compared to her peers. I know. I just get the feeling if she was a brand new actress and her first movie was Arrival, she would have been nominated. Probably. Yeah. I, I mean, I think she should have been nominated anyway. So I think anyone that did as good a job as she did in that role should have been nominated. And, and I would argue the exact opposite. Um, look at Meryl Streep. I think she just shows up in a movie and because she's Meryl Streep, she gets nominated. I'm going to be honest with you. I've seen several of the movies that she was nominated and I thought, really? That's best actor or best actress or whatever, best supporting actress nomination. So I, I don't, yeah, I, I think, but I, I think you're onto something a little bit there with Amy Adams, but I don't know. I, I think I thought her performance was spot on, was excellent. And, and I, I was shocked she didn't get an Oscar nomination for it. Yeah. So well, I had the chance to see journey to the West, the demons strike back. Oh, I hate you for being able to do that. It's fun. Um, it's the follow-up to the last one, which was Journey to the West, Conquering the Demons. Stephen Chow's not back to direct this one. He did write it. He did produce it. I'd say you can feel his absence. It's just not... It doesn't click as well as the other movies. It's fun. It just doesn't have the magic touch that Stephen Chow brings. And you also, Adam, you did a um, a midnight special over the weekend, too, didn't you? You want yeah, to talk I'd, a little bit about it? I had the chance to check out Evil Dead in glorious 35 millimeter The Gateway. And it was a fun time. Good crowd. I'd say there's about 30 people there hooting, hollering at the screen when Ash gets the chainsaw. Nice. Delivering lines back at the screen. It's just a good midnight crowd. Awesome. Great Weren't print, you supposed too. to go to that, Roger? Well, I was in Dayton at a show for, with my son, and I'm doing 80 miles an hour up the freeway thinking if I get back in time, if I get back in time, and I didn't get back in time. <laughs> All right. I think they're doing Evil Dead 2 at some point this year, so I'm definitely dragging you to that one. Awesome. Sounds great. All right, I think that's going to wrap it up for our news and notes. When we come back, we'll be doing our Thursday night movie. Oh, Adam, yeah. Yeah, let's just do a quick vote because Matt has now seen Arrival. Oh, yes. And we've been doing that TFC recommends page, which are movies that we all vote on, where we're saying that if you're talking to a stranger, you'd recommend this movie without reservation. So I'll go ahead and put it up for the vote. Do we recommend, so that it enters the hall of TFC recommends, Arrival? Yes. Yes. Hands down. Yep, All right. yep, me I'll too. I'll make the third vote, so it'll join the page sometime later this week. Awesome. Sounds great. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, our Thursday night movie review of John Wick. Okay, you are listening to the Film Coterie, and we are fresh back from seeing John Wick Chapter 2. It's just Matt and I here this evening. Roger was not able to join us. No, he uh, is in a much colder place. But uh, me and Adam saw it, uh, so we'll give you some of our thoughts. Let's just jump right out of the gate. I loved it. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was bubbling after this movie. Can't wait to talk about it. I want to see it again. As a disclaimer, though, I think we were both super excited to see it after the original John Wick. Yeah, my expectations are high. I've been wanting to see this movie since the credits rolled on the first one. But I think that's a good thing, right? Because if your expectations are high and you still come out of a movie smiling like a little grade school kid, then I think the movie has been successful. So let's go ahead and talk about whether or not you need to see the first movie to join this one, because it is a sequel. Um, we had a long talk about this before we actually started recording. Um, I was kind of on the fence with whether or not. I mean, if, you, if you're just looking for an action film to see an action film, uh, and don't mind some oddities, then maybe not. But I think given what John Wick 2 is, you definitely want to see John Wick. Yeah, the first one, if you've not seen it, it's a movie about a hitman, but it builds in this weird, wonderful world where there's just so much going on. There's a hotel called the Continental. There's a weird honor system. There's gold coins. There's more to it than you think from the previews. There's vendors. So, and this is from the original, so it's not a spoiler. So, let's say maybe you have a shootout in your home, and now you got dead bodies everywhere, and you need to get rid of those dead bodies. Um, well, you can pay someone gold coins, and they come and clean all that stuff up. And you pay gold coins to stay at the Continental, and you yeah. pay gold coins to get into certain rooms. They have it built into the door. Yes. So, there's this very strange economy going on. There's a manager of the Continental. Played by Ian McShane. Yes. Um, and it's just, it's wonderful world building without any exposition or someone explaining to you why this is happening. They just show it happening. And you're left to kind of wonder. And um, it becomes like another character almost in the film that you're aware of and you know it's just not the world you're used to and it's glorious. Yeah, they leave you the puzzles and you get to put them together and try to figure out how it all works. Yeah, yeah. And if you like that from the first one, well, I got good news for you. This one brings even more to the table. Not, But but not just like more. Like It was like a onion. It's like, all right, so that's one level. You can handle that. That's fine. So right from the beginning, there's gold coins. There's things like that. And then you just start peeling back layers, and there's more and more of the world. And before long, I was I was paying attention trying to pick up. Not only was I enjoying the action that was going on, but I was paying attention to how this world worked and functioned because I want to know more about it. Because one of the first thing, my first comments coming out of it is, uh, as far as not even not even limited to action films, right? I'm saying maybe across all genres. This is some of the best world building I've seen in a movie for the simple fact that there's no exposition. No one's explaining to you, you know, how this world works. They're just showing it to you and interacting with the audience in a way that they're like, you should kind of know what's going on, but they don't, I, I, they don't intentionally leave you in the dark. They just kind of show you how this world's working and you're putting these pieces together and it's just, it's a wonderful way to world build, and it was great. The other good thing about this movie is it's a sequel, but it doesn't fall into the trap that so many of the other sequels do, where they try to one-up it and just do something like the first one, but different. 
he gets pulled back into the web, but it's not like they kill his dog again. It's not like they do this scene over again, but add an element of now there's two cars driving around shooting at each other. No, I think that I think this movie was just a really good continuation of this poor man's story, right? I mean, you in the first movie you watch him get pulled back into this world, and then you find out when you try to get out a second time, it may not be so easy. Um, and I like the fact that in the first movie they set it up. Why do you care about this character, John Wick? Why do you care about him? Um, you know, this, this, I don't even know exactly what he is. I mean, I know he's a contract killer, but other than that, I mean, I don't know how this world even refers to these type of individuals, but right, yeah, they don't, um, but this movie, they assume you've seen the original John Wick and they get, there is no, why do we care about this guy? It opens up immediately and it just goes pretty much full bore until the end. I mean, there's moments where they're world building and interacting and you're finding out more about the world, but there's no long segment where it's a build up that, Oh, I've been retired. I'm not getting back in and these bad things happen. It's just, here's John wick trying to make things right. <laughs> and there's no fat to this movie. There's no love interest that they're forcing on us. There's no ally that's going to betray at the end that we always see in the action movies. Yeah, no, no. And I think that's the weird thing, too, in this world, is that all these killers know each other. And have honor. Yeah, have honor. It's almost as like samurai-ish, right? In the sense that you have these guys that have respect for one another. Hey, how's it going? How are you doing? And, um, But knowing full well that at some point in time, they may try to kill one another. And that's, that's just great. Um, I don't want to give away too much, but there are scenes tonight, you know, where two people are talking and then now 10 seconds later, they're trying to kill one another. Violence ensues. <laughs> Violence ensues. That is, but that statement, John Wick, more than most action films, I mean, there's a lot of violence. So the the only cautionary tale I would give anyone is, if you thought there was too much killing in John Wick, you're probably going to feel the same way seeing John Wick too. We looked at some statistics from the first movie tonight, and we found out that there were 77 kills in the first movie. 77 kills. And I'm sure anyone who's a fan of the first movie knows that a lot of those are headshots as well. Knees and then head, usually. Knees, head, chest, head. A lot of headshots. Double taps for everyone. Oh, Yes. So in this one, I, I don't have a number, but what's, I'm going to guess we're in the ballpark of the same kill count. There's probably 70 or more people that go down in this movie. I'd say it's a fair assumption to say we're between 60 and 80. If it if it went over 80, I may not be surprised, to be honest with you. Um, but again, there it's just... I understand that there is uproar sometimes about violence in films. And oh my goodness, what are we, but come on, <laughs> these scenes are glorious. I mean, you're just, you're in awe of this man that everyone in this world is afraid of. <laughs> Bobby that's a, it's a brilliant setup in the first one because you don't know who John Wick is yet. 
you don't. until you see a mob boss and he's told that his son has killed someone's dog. When he finds out it's John Wick, he sits down and he just goes, oh, he knows that's bad news. Yeah. And, and just rang the devil's doorbell and ran away. Yeah, pretty much. And that was about the only amount of exposition in the first movie when they're trying to let the audience understand that the man that has just been wronged is not the man to wrong. And there's a little more exposition because the mob, the Russians in the first one, share the impossible task story. That, that, well, that's what I'm talking about. It's, that's the, the story of what he's done. They don't give a lot of details, but for whatever reason, to get out... John Wick had to complete an impossible task all in one night. We never see it, but he did that, and that's why he was a free man at the start of John Wick 1. Right. That was his task he had to complete for him to get out of this world. Um, but that's not a lot of exposition for a movie like this. No, not With at such all. a strange world and, and everything. No flashbacks. Like yeah, no flashbacks to it. Um, they just kind of talk about it in generalities, even. I gave him an impossible task, and he completed it in one night and earned his freedom. That's not a lot of exposition. Um, but there are, there are also moments like that in this one, especially in the beginning, where he um, is doing things, and there's reactions similar to that. This movie starts not long after the first one. It's not clear how long, but it's in the re near future to the ending of the first movie. It, yeah, and it's very hard to tell for the simple fact that John Wick is a stud. You know, I, I mean, he gets beat up pretty good in both movies and just keeps going. And it, it's the same way they described him in the first one. And this is, you know, I, I think it, it was actually from the first one where he has this, he's single-minded on his task. And that is, I, I think that's what makes him so good at what he does, why everyone's afraid of him. It doesn't matter if, he may not be the, he, he may get shot. Is he better than 99% of everyone? Probably. But it's that plus his determination that makes the legend. So let's talk the actual action in this movie. Um, a lot of headshots, a lot of gunplay. But I thought they actually stepped it up in the close quarters fighting and the, the grappling and sort of the MMA fighting. Yeah, some of the more like hand-to-hand -hand combat? Absolutely. I, I thought it was uh, superb. Um, not to give too much away, he's in the preview, so Common is in it. Uh, I'm typically not a huge Common fan. Uh, I'll put it out there. Um, but uh, in this movie, uh, it was really good. He has a fight scene with Wick that is a really good on-screen fight scene. Yeah, I mean, it felt five minutes plus a really just solid hand-to-hand -hand stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know how much training Common has had. I mean, Keanu Reeves is in a ton of action movies from The Matrix on. He's had a lot of martial arts training. I don't know where Common's coming from as far as his own training, but he holds his own in this movie. No, he absolutely does. And it was the fight scenes were choreographed beautifully because... Um, a lot of action films get into this whole idea that in a fight, people are just standing up trading punches. When whoever is in charge of the, chore the choreography for the fights in this movie understands that it's two individuals trying to kill one another. And just like the first one, there's no shaky cam here. It's all very nice, clear action. Yeah, and the moves are brutal. It's not, you know, 
this isn't John Wayne punching somebody. This, you know, these fights are to the death and the moves are brutal to try to end that confrontation as quickly as possible. Good sound editing, too. The hits always land. Good sonic stuff. I mean, it doesn't sound like someone's just punching a bag of rice. Yeah. And and they leave in the grunts and groans because it, I think in a struggle for your life, you're going to be vocal about stuff. I, I don't think it's going to be in silence, and it, I don't think it's overdone. I think it's just right. I, it was. I enjoy the fight scenes. So part two was directed by Chad Stahelski. He's a career stunt guy in Hollywood. He worked with Keanu in The Matrix. He's done a ton of movies, and he's taking the solo directorial job for this one. The other director, let me grab his name here real quick. Uh, David Leitch left to go shoot Deadpool 2. That should be exciting for any fans of Deadpool if they saw John Wick. Yeah, it's a good grab. I, I can't wait to see the Deadpool fight scenes because of that. But I told, uh, me and Adam were talking before we got on and started recording. I I mean, they do a great job directing. I don't want to take anything away from them. But the screenwriter on this, if you can look the, his name yeah, up. Yeah, it's Derek Colstead. So we looked at some of the things that he had done. And uh, we weren't too impressed until we hit John Wick. And that's when I may have made a joke that he may have been on performance enhancing drugs yeah, at this he's, point. He's the sole writer for John Wick and John Wick Chapter 2. No other writers credited. Yeah, and to me, like I said, I think it's one of the best world-building franchises ever, regardless of genre. And if you look at his IMDb page, his last movie, full movie before this that wasn't a short, was The Package, which was just a Steve Austin, Dolph Lundgren direct-to-video movie I've never seen. Maybe it's good. I'm, I may, I, I, after watching what he did here, I may go want to watch that. Um just to see if it has these same kind of elements that he's kind of snuck in there with this world being this other character you're kind of discovering as these movies go along. So this movie, unlike the first one, opens up, at least as far as the environments, a little bit. The first movie, the fights are contained in his house, and then later on in a warehouse, and then in a nightclub. There's a nightclub with a pool below and then the dance floor above. Talk about the first one? Yeah. Yeah. This one expands that. The environments are a lot bigger. Oh, uh, yeah. A lot uh, varied. Yeah. Um, and you're exposed to not only different environments, but more of this wonderful world. Yeah, and there's a surprising scene even in the streets in New York with a lot of people just kind of out in the public that I wasn't expecting. Uh, yeah. This yeah. movie looks a lot more expensive. Yeah. Well, I mean, that scene, I think we can talk about it because we're in the trailer. It was in the trailer. Yeah. So, you know, John Wick standing there talking to Winston, who is the manager of the Continental. And they're, you know, in a crowded fountain and just everyone stops. So, but that even makes you start scratching your head of how can they keep just the general public out? And now it's all these people that you believe are maybe like John is. Or as I shall now always refer to him as Jonathan. Yes, the managers at both Continentals will call him Jonathan while no one else will. It's always Mr. Wick or John. Yeah. But they also take place here in a museum. Yes. I don't know if that was a set or if they actually got a shoot somewhere with all the statues and everything else. I don't know what they were doing in that museum as far as shooting location. 
the more important thing to me is, not, not more important, but there are several statues that were prominent in shots. I need to see this movie again, pay attention to those statues, and see if I can find what those statues are. Because I'm really hoping they have some kind of significance to this world. And there's something else going on, and people smarter than me can probably catch it better, but there might be some kind of Dante's Inferno angle in this movie with mentions of a high location, elevators going down. There's something going on there, I think, from some of the language and imagery that I just didn't catch and I'm looking to read about, hopefully here in the future. Yeah, so I think someone, yeah. I, I We're enough to pick up on some some underlying theme not knowledgeable enough to discern maybe what it is. At least not on viewing number one. Yeah, when the whole time I'm laughing and giggling like a little kid because I'm so happy to see what's transpiring on the film in front of me. And there were a group of four of us that went tonight. Roger wasn't with us, like I said, but all four of us really liked it. I think we were all glowing as soon as we walked out of the theater. Yeah, I I mean, from the... I can't say the majority of people because... I'm going to have a question in this for you, Adam, so you can start thinking about after I mention this. So we came out, group of four of us, we sat around and talked briefly about the film, and this statement was heard almost immediately after entering the theater. Man, I really like that better than John Wick. So Adam, is it better than John Wick? I think it's a better film. If you take out the novelty of part one, because part one was amazing this first time you see it because of all the stuff going on, the action. You've never seen action quite like that. The weird world building. But overall, from start to finish, I've only seen it once. I think John Wick 2 is a better film. I'm going to have to agree with you because the first John Wick was kind of surprising in how good it was. and I'm, And this is taking the actual violence part aside, right? I don't like it because there were 77 kills. I don't like it because there were so many headshots. I like it because they built this wonderful, strange world and had this action within that world. And because this kind of pulls back the curtain a little bit more on that world, I, I love it that much more. I mean, they pull back a little bit more curtain, but I still have so many questions about how this world truly functions that... I think the statement I made was, I just need more John Wick in my life. I want to see John Wick 3 and 4 and 5. And I can't ever remember saying that about any action franchise, I guess, where I'm like, I don't care. If all the movies are like this, they can make them however long they want to. I have no problem with it. Yeah. I mean, it's this one, you're going to walk out and you're going to want to see a part three. You know, it's yeah. just, there's still stuff going on and you want to find out more about the world and they they build your hunger for it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, and even some of the questions happen in the third act of the film that you're like, but what? And a lot of. And I know you said there may be some Dante's Inferno thing going on, but there without giving too much away, I don't think this does. I think there is a lot of religious context to this film. Um, 
into things that people say, ways that they say things, how they talk about Jonathan Wick. Um, so I just want to know more about that. So there may be people smarter that pick up on all of it, know what all the symbolism means. But on first watching, I like I said, I was just smiling like a little school kid. Yeah, and there's cultural imperf- in, in here too where they, when they talk about John Wick, like the Russians call him the boogeyman. The English speakers call him the devil. Yeah, yeah. they Yes, they call him the devil. So for me, walking out of this movie, it was sort of like a reverse experience from the Matrix Revolutions. Because I walked into that Keanu Reeves movie, loving the first, just totally disliking the second one. I was so let down by Matrix Part 2 that you know I was thinking, well, maybe they can save this in Part 3 and turn it around. Here is finally redemption for Keanu Reeves. He's made an action movie that is, at least so far in our opinion, maybe better than the first one. Yeah, yeah. It's um, few and far between that there have been two installments of action films that have been this good. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking it's hard to come up with anything. You might even bring up Aliens, but it was so different. The first one was a haunted house and space movie. Yeah. And the second one was a kind of straight-up action movie. Yeah, and so. these, these are both straight-up hardcore action with massive body count. Because I don't think that's giving anything away about John Wick, too. <laughs> no. that there's going to be a lot of deaths. That's like saying Rocky has a fight at the end. <laughs> yeah, Rocky's a boxer. They may get into a ring. So box office, this is going to be interesting because the first one did not set fire in theaters. It gained a second life on home video. This one I'm hoping people turn out for. Yeah, yeah. Our theater was a little light this evening. It kind of concerned me. It was me. real light. We were here in Columbus and maybe 30 people. That even may be generous. But yeah. it was a cold night tonight. The first one in a while. What's it up against? Like, what else is still out? Well, Lego Batman's going to win the weekend. But oh, is that out right now, too? Yeah. Yeah, then that'll, yeah. But Fifty Shades Darker is also out. So it's three different audiences. It's John Wick for the guys, Fifty Shades maybe for the women. It's supposed to be pretty bad. I don't know. And then Lego Batman for the families. Yeah, and there's no trick in your significant other in going to see this because it has Keanu in it. No, she has to owe you a favor. Yeah. Hey, honey, come, you know, you may have gotten by with the original John Wick going, it's got Keanu in it, some eye candy. Um, And then she hates you for like the next month. You're not going to be able to drag her into this one. No, I have to ask because I don't know. Has Kristen seen John Wick? Uh, For those of you who don't know, Kristen is my significant other. Um, she has seen John Wick, but you know, I'm a lucky individual and this is why she is my wife. Um, she is, was kind of disappointed that she couldn't come and watch John Wick two tonight. Cause I didn't know if she liked, it. I know she likes action movies, but I didn't know if she liked John Wick part one. She likes anything that has a little martial art flair to it. So she's a huge fan of any like Kung Fu movie. Right. If if you just tell her it's a kung fu movie, she will watch it. I mean, we watched old school, you know, samurai movies or um like the old English dubbed over kung fu movies and she loves it. So anything that has that kind of fighting, she enjoys. So I think she she 
probably would enjoy John Wick 2 more than John Wick 1. I've seen it described online as ballet for men because you have the choreography, you have classical music, and you have them shooting in a nice museum for the background. It's art. It it is with blood as their medium. <laughs> and I would agree with that. I mean, these scene I need to watch it again to see how long how long it takes they go in these fight scenes. Right? So you know, how long is the choreography in this, in the fight scene? Because there was, this probably won't shock anyone, there's a rather long gunfight scene. Um, and I, I'd like to see if I could tell how many, how many shots that thing took to go the, the length of that, that gunfight. And you can see it in the trailer. There's a set where they're in an exhibit full of mirrors. And it's an impressive technical shot because there's so many mirrors, but you never see the cameras. So either they were able to CG them out or they were just able to get all their shots just right where the cameras are always out of the mirrors. Yeah, it's, I mean, everyone's kind of familiar with that. You're hunting someone in a hall of mirrors. This is one of the better one of those scenes I've ever seen. It's a very elaborate setup. Very not only because typically you have, you know, a hall of mirrors, you think a maze, there's a lot of mirrors and they have that. And then there's also just walls of mirrors. And then it continues to change because they're in a museum that's meant to have the mirrors placed in specific ways to be art. And then they change and other things happen and they're going through this. And the whole exhibit is about self-reflection. Oh, Yes. That's what I mean. There's all kinds of stuff going on here, and I'm going to have to definitely watch it again and see if I can pick up some of the other angles. Yeah. But as I, you know, as we were driving back to to do this, one of my comments was, I can't wait to see this movie again. And I think I will watch it numerous times. And I do have to say that out of the movies I saw last year, I've seen John Wick the most. Um I I don't know exactly how many times I've seen it, but I know it's probably beyond six or seven times. And this movie fixed a perceived problem from the first one. A lot of people complained, and this was about the only nitpick, that the finale to John Wick Part 1 was kind of weak compared to the rest of the movie. The fight in the rain. Um, compared to the rest of the movie, it's kind of a letdown. Uh, you mean the very last fight? Yeah, for the first movie. People complain that all the good stuff's in the middle. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. This one doesn't have that problem. It, it's good throughout. Yeah. And and the ending, just the very ending, is just better. It's it's just better. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't want to give that away at all. So I think that'll about wrap it up for our take on John Wick 2. It's coming from us very highly recommended. And good chance we'll both see this again in theaters. Uh, yeah, I, I will probably see it again in the theater. I will definitely purchase it as soon as it becomes available. And I will definitely watch it probably 10 times in 2017. And we looked real quick before starting this podcast. It does not look like John Wick's available to stream from anywhere, but you can rent it on iTunes. You can rent it on Amazon. They usually do this when a sequel comes out. Yeah, if you haven't seen John Wick... 
and you're thinking about going to see John Wick 2, just rent it. Just rent it. Watch it. Enjoy it. You'll be up to date and go in and be able to enjoy this wonderful, wonderful movie. All right, and welcome back. You are listening to the Film Coterie, and in this segment of our show, we're going to talk about uh, movies that we consider instant classics, movies uh, inspired by our, the viewing of John Wick and maybe in the action genre. It doesn't have to be action genre, but uh, movies that after you saw it, it just instantly was a classic movie. It was love at first sight. It was like, wow, that's an incredible movie. And it has stuck with you through the years as well. So I'm going to throw it out to our our Adam and Matt and, and have them just kind of share what are what is maybe one uh, instant classic and we just kind of go back and forth and see if we have any crossover, which we may or may not. Yeah, and because it's John Wick week, we're going to focus on action titles. And the first thing that leapt to my mind was Rumble in the Bronx. I saw this in 1995, so I was probably 13 or 14. It was my very first exposure to Jackie Chan. <laughs> I saw it in the big screen. Jackie Chan comes to New York and kicks all kinds of ass. Um, here's one that comes to mind. This is recent, real recent. The reason being is because I didn't watch action movies until later, uh, in life. I don't know why. Um, but, um, Mad Max Fury Road, hands down. When I saw that, I was like, I'm going to own this. I'm going to watch it dozens of times. Um, I own it and I've watched it dozens of times and it hasn't even been that long. Um, I know it'll be one of those things as soon as my son's old enough to watch that movie, I will show him that movie. Yeah, that's my most recent instant classic as well, too, probably, that yeah. I can think of. Would uh, you show him that first for the Mad Max universe? I don't, I don't know, because I was kind of introduced to them in order, right? So... Um, you know, grew up on the Mel Gibson, and I'm I may even put um, the second installment up there as well as one that I saw was like, yes, I'll watch that again and again. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't. That's a tough call. Well, one thing I like about Mad Max is I don't think the order matters. The stories are so self-contained, and there's not a lot of carryover from film to film. Aside from he lost a family. Yeah. When I was looking into this, I saw a bunch of people. They're like, "Well, it didn't make sense of that happening after whatever happened in the other movies." And I just want to be like, "Look, this isn't a sequel. I thought this was just a story, right? About exactly. Max himself. Yeah. I mean, this was." You know, not I, ha- I have to agree. Linear. Instant classic for me, and I didn't even that movie wasn't even on my radar. I didn't even think of it, but as soon as I saw it, and I, it was probably what well, was the first rated R movie I showed my son Zach. I, I I came home and I was like, "Man, this is awesome!" And then when it was came out on video, I got it and I said, "Zach, you got to watch this." And he was just like blown away, like, "Oh my gosh, this is incredible!" You know, when it was such a welcome relief to get to that style of action where everything has a very clear geography. There's no shaky cam, no fast cuts. The mayhem and the vehicular stuff you see is just all great. It's refreshing because we're in the born era where it's all handheld shaky cam. Yeah. But I mean, George Miller does have a, 
it feels like a specific way of shooting action scenes because sometimes the scenes will feel sped up mm-hmm. just to give a sense of the franticness of what's happening. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I, that's I, a good observation, I love- man. I, I yeah, I totally see that now that you said that. It's almost like he goes from twenty four frames a second to thirty or something. You know, it's like it's like he cranks it, he dials it up a little bit to kind of intensify it. Yeah, but yeah, I I love that movie. Awesome. How about for you, Adam? Um, Die Hard. The first time <laughs> yeah. I saw Die Hard, it it makes all other action movies look a little bit weak. And it was a new template. Everything after Die Hard could always be explained. Well, this is Die Hard on a plane. This yeah. is Die Hard in the White House. And uh, interesting, I you know when when I when I took a look at this list, three movies came to me immediately. One of them wasn't even probably well, it is a western, but it's also an action, and it, it was came to me immediately. One was from the seventies, one was from the nineties, uh, and then one from the O's, you know, the O three O four era. And then I started thinking about my childhood, and then Die Hard was one of the first movies I thought of from the eighties, you know. And so I agree a hundred percent. Die Hard was great, man. I had not seen like that re- revenge. I'm gonna get you. I mean, it was just like, oh, it was, it was, you know. <laughs> yeah, and self-contained. I mean, other movies have come out have been a little more self-contained lately. Like it reminds me of Dread and The Raid, where it's all happening in one building or one location. But Die Hard is really the template for that. Yeah. The um, and I know I guess the first movie I'll share. I have three, and then I have a little segment. I, I'll I'll just kind of mention real quickly. But my first movie that I thought of immediately, and it is a western, you know. But it's it, it has the action in it. It was one of the first movies where it had a movie line that I just instantly remembered, and it's the nineteen seventy three movie High Plains Drifter, and uh, <laughs> that movie just the moment I saw it. I'll never forget the phrase where Clint Eastwood says, you know, you're going to look real silly with this knife sticking out of your, you know, <laughs> and it's like, talk about a revenge. I'm going to, I'm going to get you. I'm going to tear you up. Um, for me, it just wasn't, you know, I'm a huge Eastwood fan anyway, especially his older work, you know. Um, but that movie for me, it was an instant classic and uh, great action flick as well. So other movies, guys, you have, you have a couple more or any others? Yeah, I'm going to jump back into the martial arts train and go with Kung Fu Hustle. Nice. This was the second movie I saw from Stephen Chow. The first one would have been Shaolin Soccer. But if you haven't seen Kung Fu Hustle, you owe it to yourself to check it out. There's a ton of CG in it, and that's kind of the first real Kung Fu movie I was aware of with that much CG. But it plays like live-action Looney Tunes, and that's what makes it so much fun. That's cool. Uh, For me, my second movie, of course, was The Matrix. Um it blew me out of the water. Uh, it, it's of that, that genre of, you know, sci-fi slash action slash gun battling, gun, you know, warfare, gun, gung fu, if you want to call it, whatever, you know, stop motion. The first time you saw this first stop motion. And, uh, uh, I, I just remember walking out of the theater, th- theater thinking, what was that? I just saw, I, I, I literally wanted to turn around and go right back into the theater and see it again, you know? Well, the previews didn't give away really the whole plot of the movie, and that's it was such a discovery to see it. That's what made the Matrix fun to me. Yeah, absolutely. I have to I have to put one in. This isn't necessarily mine, but my wife would kill me if she knew <laughs> I didn't put this movie in. Uh, and that would be Gladiator. You can call it action or not. It has oh, abso- plenty of action. Absolutely, in it. I totally wife, would call it. Action. My wife absolutely, positively cannot turn past this if it's on TV. We own it. 
Um, I cannot tell you how many times I've been forced to watch this. I've been forced to watch it so much that I can't take it, take it anymore. But my wife, <laughs> every time she sees it, will watch something. And she'll flip to it know exactly where it is in the movie based off of one line of dialogue and decide, you know, is it worth her investing? Does she have enough time to watch the rest of it before she goes to bed? When did you guys first see it? Was it on a date? Um, I don't know... When it was? What time did it come out? What year? That's a great question. Oh, I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking. Two thousand. Two thousand. Um. Maybe. Maybe not. I. I mean, we were. We were obviously together at that point. Um. I'm sure we did probably see it in the theater. I'll never forget that I, I saw it in the theater with my wife Rhonda. And it was the first time ever that she went to see it like an action film because it was a period piece, you know. It was when it, it, was when oh, it yeah, took that place. Oh, yeah, that was the you kicker. Know? And it, it had the draw. It was the one movie that could get husbands and wives both into the theater, one for the romance and the love scene and, and the, and the you know, the inner, and the other for the brutal violence and the retribution of the movie itself, you know. So. Well, my wife, if I do something, she'll still look at me and say, I'm vexed. I'm very vexed. <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. All right, then I'll jump in. This is a sequel to a Ridley Scott movie since we were just talking about Gladiator, but this is Aliens. James yes. Cameron put his unique stamp on this universe, and it's one of the best sci-fi action movies I think ever made. Awesome. Absolutely. I'll jump in here, too. Um, this was one of the first times I saw violence on screen as art, and I really saw it portrayed as art, and that would be Kill Bill. Uh, volumes 1 and 2, I'll just lump them together. And uh, I just thought the movie was glorious. It had had the martial arts aspect. It had the revenge aspect. I'm going to get you back. And I think, you know, I'm a huge fan of Tarantino to begin with. But I, I really saw he used blood as art in this movie. And it, to me, was not gratuitous. It was his statement on violence, his statement on um, uh, emotion and revenge and some of those things. So for me, an instant classic was Kill Bill, Volume One and Two. Do you think it works splitting them out? Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I th I think it could be viewed as one big movie. You know, I would have no no trouble putting an intermission, tighten it a little bit, and make it one movie. But uh, it what's well, the interesting thing when he split it? And I don't know if you're aware of this. He took all the Eastern revenge elements out and made it part one, where it felt like a you know an Asian movie, and all the Western revenge elements became part two so he oh, actually okay. separated the genres a little bit when i he did made it. yeah i didn't that, that's great i didn't catch that either that's a, of course that's tarantino you know that's yeah. what his mind works you know so yeah um, so i think it actually works as those two different hemispheres of action yeah other films anything else jump out i have um i put this out on facebook for some of our followers uh for the film coterie and some of our friends to see what theirs were and so let me mention some of their films yeah. uh, to get you guys to respond whether you think it's an instant classic or not if you agree with some of our listeners michael from florida put ben hur was his instant classic you know which one well i he, imagine he's talking about the original i, I, I imagine, really hope it's the original it's the original yes All right. um that was his instant classic uh, we had several votes for Pulp Fiction. Uh, Leo from Ohio, uh, Michael from Georgia, both said Pulp Fiction was their instant classic. Um, our guest reviewer, Erin Marshall, that reviewed a couple weeks ago, she chimed in and said her instant classic was Jurassic Park, okay. you know, uh, which I can appreciate. For me, it was uh, um, 
a very impactful movie. It was one of those where I went to the theater and I was like, holy mackerel, look at the computers can do this, you know, kind of stuff. Um, let's see, what else do we have here? Chuck from Ohio wrote uh, Hard Times, the, Ch the Charles Bronson movie was his instant classic, you know, which I don't think I've seen, you know, so I can't comment on it. Hold on, what is that one? Hard Times? Oh, okay, never mind. Yeah. Because I just got done watching Bronson with Tom Hardy. Oh, about the fighter. About the fighter in Britain. So when you when you said a Charles Bronson story, I'm like, am I missing something? But you're literally meaning Charles Bronson, the actor. The actor. Yeah. Yeah, with Charles Bronson. My dad was a huge fan of Charles <laughs> Bronson. Yeah, I've not seen Hard Times. It's actually the directorial debut of Walter Hill, king of lowbrow action, but action yeah. nonetheless. We'll have to maybe check it out, you know? So absolutely. Uh, a few more from our from our listeners. Um, Val from North Carolina. Braveheart was his instant classic. Um, my friend Matthew from Manitoba, Canada. His instant classic was The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, uh, which is a great That's movie. Um, great soundtrack. If you don't own that soundtrack, something is wrong with you. Yeah. And how do you say his name? Ennio? Ennio? Morricone. Yeah, Morricone. Morricone. The, <laughs> the Ecstasy of Gold, Mike, to me, is like one of the favorite songs in any movie ever. <laughs> if you don't know what the Ecstasy of Gold is, I guarantee you, you go to YouTube, search that, you'll go, oh, yeah, that's what that's called. You could probably just say, you know that song from the Westerns. <laughs> yeah. You, you could. You could. You absolutely could. What's well, It's the one song... Within a second and a half, you, you've heard that song before. You recognize that whistle. At the the whistle. beginning. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just, a, just a couple more real quick here. Kathy from Indiana, Ocean's Eleven was her action uh, movie. And then my question was, the original or the remake? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm guessing the remake. Yeah, I, I'm guessing as well, too. Um, Kevin from Ohio, The Untouchables, uh, which it was his instant classic. And Francis from Ohio, Death Race 2000. What's his instant classic? Uh, Death Race. <laughs> Death Race 2050s just hit Netflix. It's a sequel. Corbin did not direct it. I'm not going to say it's any good. I've seen it. <laughs> it's on Netflix. If you like Death Race, check it out. So Yeah, Matt? Well, I was going to say, I mean, there's some other movies that probably people are less familiar with that I was a huge fan of upon first viewing. Uh, on Bach. Yes. I thought was great. Yeah. I, I will... Anytime I get a chance to see it, I will watch it. I will watch Ombak, Ombak 2, and I'll even watch Ombak 3, even though Tony Jaa went absolutely bonkers during the making of that film, simply because I'll sit through that whole entire film to see the last fight the la scene. The last 20 minutes of that movie might be the <laughs> greatest last, fight scene ever. That yeah. last fight scene, I, I will watch an entire movie just to get to that. Elbows and knees pounding everyone's face. Oh, it's so great. It's yeah. so great. Another one that I saw that kind of, I wanted to see it, but when I watched it, I was happily surprised. The Good, the Bad, and the Weird. Oh, yeah. I I, I don't know how to describe it other than what to say. It is a Korean Western. Little steampunky. Little steampunky. Oh, yeah. But I really, really enjoyed it. Um. Tai Chi Zero, not Hero. Listen to my words. The first one. <laughs> the first one. Tai Chi Zero. Me and my wife really, really, really enjoyed. But awesome. she likes martial arts films. So yeah, I do too. I'm. I love martial arts. Films. And I'll go ahead and close out the segment with my last one here. 
and I know my friend Blu-ray Bob is about to raise his hands in the air, but it's Predator. <laughs> I love the first movie. We're not yep. going to talk about the sequels or yep. any follow-ups or any crossovers, but Predator is a it's great, great action movie. Well, you know, you say that, Adam, and when I made this list, I, I my teenage years were the 80s. And so I literally did not have to think. I have one movie, one movie from every year of the 80s, and I may end up just writing an article and putting it on our website about this. But I, let me just hit the decade. Let me just mention the movies that came to my mind instantly that I would say were instant classics from the 1980s. So let me start with 1980, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, instant classic. 81, Raiders of the Lost Ark. 82, um, The Wrath of Khan. The only Star Trek movie ever worth watching, in my <laughs> opinion, to be honest with you. Uh, 83 was Episode 6, Return of the Jedi. 84 was Terminator. 85 was Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, my very first Mad Max I ever saw. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I love Tina Turner in it. I love that movie. To me, it was an instant classic. 86, one of my all, probably in my top 10 movies of all time, Highlander. Because there can be only one. I love that movie. There's still a remake gesture coming along. Well, I don't know when it's ever going to happen, but... How big a fan are you of Highlander, though? I love... I've seen all the movies and... The TV shows? TV I ha- shows? I have not seen the TV shows. Oh, then you're not a fan, because I've seen all those. Because that's Duncan McCloud of the Clan McCloud. <laughs> we should point out, the Highlander sequel that's been bubbling and brewing for so long now has a John Wick director. Nice. One of the two. So, we'll see. I mean... yeah. Awesome. Last three, 87, Predator was on my list. 88, Die Hard was on my list. And 89, and this is my guilty pleasure, Roadhouse. I loved Patrick oh, Swayze. I have, a, I have another friend raising love, his hands in the air. I, I love Patrick Swayze kicking some butt and taking names, man. Chris, that one's for you. It has, it has Sam Elliott in it. And Sam That's Elliott, all I need to know. yes, I love it. So anyway. But Predator, I think my problem with Predator is the first time I saw it was on TV. Oh, yeah. Right. So you see that. it just doesn't with commercials and everything. And I don't know. It All doesn't the censored hold, gore. It doesn't hold that special place in my heart, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. That's going to wrap up our segment on uh, instant classics. We'll be right back. You're listening to the film coterie. Okay, we're back, and it's time for movie homework. This is the weekly assignment where we give each other movies, and then we discuss them. So I'm going to jump on Roger for this one because he's seen El Topo. (laughs) This should be great. I love El Topo. It's the first midnight movie, and I honestly don't know what Roger's thoughts are going to be on this one. I'm eager to see it. Matt gave it to him. I did because I love El Topo. Adam showed it to me, and I immediately fell in love. I have El Topo artwork in my house. That I'm still trying to find a place to stick on my wall. And because it was his assignment, I'm going to let Matt lead the Inquisition. Roger. So, if I would ask you, could you describe El Topo in a sentence? Could you do that? Uh, El Topo in a sentence. (laughs) Wow. Now, if I had time to think about it, maybe. But just (laughs) off the cuff, no, I could not. What did you think of El Topo? Well, um, 
What did I think of El Topo? That's a great question. <laughs> I don't know what I thought of El Topo, to be honest with you. It, it was, it's definitely an auteur film, you know, Alejandro Jodorowsky. Yeah. Released in the early 70s, 70, 71, first midnight movie. And I, I, I totally got the symbolism. I mean, you know, it, 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 this is a movie where if my wife would have watched it, she'd be like, that is the biggest piece of crap I've ever seen in a movie ever. Cause Probably. Because she, she would not really understand any of the symbolism, anything he's trying to do. If you've never seen El Topo, it's a movie in two acts. The first act is kind of a wilderness wandering in the desert and the hunt for enlightenment by the lead character, the man in black. Um and he has to go encounter four gunmen, which are four aspects of philosophy, theology, religion, you know, uh, enlightenment. And it's very, uh, it's interesting. The Maison Sin that he does with the way he frames the shots are very artistic in nature. There, there's a lot, practically every shot has some form of symbolism in it. Um, and so I greatly appreciate the the artistic value of the film. You know, I think it's if you go to anybody who goes to film school, this film is going to show up. You're going to have to watch this film because it's going to stretch you beyond, you know, the normal. It's not a three act resolution, yada, yada, yada no. movie whatsoever. Um, the second act is I would consider even though the first act is meant to be his in search for enlightenment. I, there's a to me there's a lot more spirituality in the second act where he literally becomes the Christ figure I, I would that's how I, from my judeo-christian background that's how I would yeah. you know view it he becomes the Christ figure and he's trying to redeem the people that are trapped with him in this cave and it doesn't it goes crazy at the it goes end poorly it goes very badly for him yes and you know so uh, you know and then it's interesting. He closes the movie with his death and a birth simultaneous. That that's reincarnation, the cycle of life. I mean, there's a whole lot of um, amazing, interesting, weird, um, strange, uh, you know, artistic choices in the movie. Uh, I read some background about El Topo after I watched it, and there's a very controversial rape scene in the movie. And he talked about how that was filmed, you know, and, um, the process, you know, he told the actress, this is not a director wanting to sleep with his actress. You know, he said, this needs to be real. It needs to be raw. And like, you know, they filmed it. Well, he told her, we're going to film this one time, one take, and that's it, you know, kind of a deal. And so his process was very, is very interesting. Um, did I like the movie? Probably not. No, uh, I, I'm I'm not really a fan of the movie, to be honest with you. Um, I appreciate it for what it is and the art that it's trying to communicate. Um, but if you just had to look at me and say, would you recommend this movie to your friends? I would say no, just because 90 percent of my friends are not going to even have a concept of what this movie is about. You know, no, um, I think that's a, I think that's a fair assessment. El Topo is one of those movies that I think you watch it and you either love it or you don't, but I knew in giving it to you that you would be able to appreciate what Jodorowsky was attempting oh, to yeah, do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I like I like, I like, like directors that think outside the... I like the auteurs. I like people that use visual symbolism, you know? Most people don't walk away from Kill Bill saying, I love that 
Tarantino used blood as a canvas for art, you know? I mean, most people just think, well, that's just senseless violence. And and I think Jodorowsky does the same thing. He uses the imaging and 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 the encounters are weird and strange, but yet, you know, supposed to bring him to enlightenment. And he 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 would do they call this in in I took I had a film class years ago, but he does what they call cross cutting, where he superimposes shots and then cross cuts to another shot to try to pull you out of time, you know, but yet to communicate kind of a stream of consciousness about what's emotionally going on there. Thought that was really cool. You don't, you, you would never see a modern director ever that wants to make any money ever do anything like this whatsoever. Yeah. Know? I don't think Jodorowsky ever really cared about money. No, he's so <laughs> far out of the studio system that <laughs> yeah, it's, he's never going to yeah. make a commercial film. He, I don't think he could. I mean, he couldn't, he couldn't willingly bring down what he thinks is his art or is his art. I'm not going to say he thinks. Right. I mean, it is his art. Oh, that is his art. He's not yeah. going to compromise one iota on no, that. No, there's no producer that's going to compromise that. I mean, imagine execs looking at dailies coming out of a Jodorowsky movie. <laughs> What's he filming today? They'd have no idea why a lizard's just getting killed over and over again. Yeah. Or why is all these bunnies laying dead all over the ground? And then they're on top of the body and they're all on fire and the honeycomb metaphor. I mean, you could go on and on. You could talk about this movie. We could talk for hours just yeah. about the why going- do we why do we need a guy that doesn't have arms and another man that doesn't have legs? Why do we need this in our film? You know, those kind of things. So Wow, it was definitely an interesting watch. I, I'll 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 say that. Absolutely. And now that you've dipped your toe into the Jodorowsky pond. I have to recommend Santa Sangre. I think that's actually my favorite Jodorowsky film. It might be. Yeah. I really would like to see another Jodorowsky film just to compare or maybe even see something newer that he's done to compare to see where he has grown as a director, you know, kind of a deal. Uh, So I'll probably check some of those out. Um, But I mean, El Topo won't be a movie that I revisit or watch again or anything like that, you know. See, I, I make sure I have to watch El Topo at least once a year. Just because I know when I watch it again, I'm going to miss some reference that was in that movie. Right. I mean, there's huge like Moses references. There's all forms of religion in there that he hits on and... You I mean, know. you could talk and talk. The two women in the desert with him, Judas, are, and I, I mean, you, you could go on and on about those are one woman with two different aspects to her. I mean, it's so open to interpretation, and I can see why if you love film and you're in the film community, why this is kind of like must viewing because it's great for conversation afterwards. So, so that's El Topo. All right, Roger, and then you assign me White Heat. Yes, this is a Cagney film I'd not seen. Yep. And I really enjoyed it. I'm glad you gave this to me. It's a gangster film. Yeah. And I don't know that this was the first, but Ma, his mother, yeah, plays a huge role in this movie. And growing up, whenever you watch Looney Tunes or anything else, and there's a little gangster with his mom, or even Goonies, I think it all ties back to White Heat. Yeah, it sure does. He's a neurotic gangster. Yeah. Uh, he brings up Cagney, is who I'm talking about. Yeah, he's. Th- you think about it. Here's a movie shot you know in the 40s and it's like 49 i think it was yeah right at the end of the 40s and it's like here's a the lead character has a psychosis issue you know mental mental craziness kind of they bring out that his dad's in an insane asylum dad's in an insane asylum he has mother issues he's overly attached to his ma yes very attached he has these crippling headaches that just disable him and And his mom massages his head and makes him go away exactly there's this 
there's this Freudian thing with him and his mob that's kind of going on this a little weird at times, you know. And here, here's a woman, an elderly. She, she would fit right in in classic 40s Hollywood as you look at her as the typical grandma, mother. Yet she's kind of the mastermind of yep. this whole gangster group. She shakes the cops. They're tailing yes. her and she's able to lose them. She's running the gang when he's gone. And then I just, I, you know, I love the closing scene of this movie where he literally goes out with a bang. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Top of the world, Ma, you know, kind yeah, of. Yeah. Now, I never knew where that line came from. You know, that's a very popular line is look at me, Mom, on top of the world. Yeah. And it comes from this movie. Well, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I never know. See, I here, here's the deal. If you haven't figured this out on the Film Coterie podcast by now, I grew up, my best friend from school worked at Blockbuster. And so he was a lover of classic cinema. And back in the day, Blockbuster would carry tons of movies from the 30s, 40s, and 50s on VHS cassettes, you know. And so we would go through and pour through. We would get on a, a uh, Fred and Ginger you know, kick, and we'd watch every movie Fred and Ginger made. And then we'd get on a Clark Gable kick, and we'd watch all the Clark Gable. And then we'd get on a Cagney kick. And we would just literally watch all these films that were available. And so I, I learned to just love classic movies and so i don't know if whether you guys are gonna love or hate these when i assign them to you but i'm glad you i'm glad you liked it it's funny watching the fight scenes too because cagney's five foot five. Oh yeah he's not a very big man at all there's not many people i'm taller than but i'm taller than james cagney <laughs> and in the movie it starts with a train robbery he and his gang hit a u.s mail train and they steal about three hundred thousand dollars and in a brilliant move he has another member of his gang go to a different state and commit a petty crime, like rob a hotel. Yes. That's going to be his alibi. He actually goes to the other state. And confesses. Confesses to the small crime <laughs> that he's only going to do two years on instead of facing the gas chamber because four marshals were killed in the robbery of the uh, mail train. Yeah. And you see a lot of the things like the cop that they sent into the prison system. How many times have we seen that replayed in movies right. now? You yeah, know. he's the mole. You know, the they mole. send him in to befriend the gangster and get him to confess. Yeah, absolutely. And at the time, this is probably pretty exciting for people to see some of the police technology because the police are using a what we would just call a GPS transceiver, but yeah. it's a radio signal. They hide in a car, and then they're tracking and triangulating. Yeah. So this is very early CSI kind of stuff for probably the American yeah. crowd. I, I tell people all the time, if you're going to go watch a classic film, like if you're going to go watch some movies you can walk into and have no background to, and you just will love them. A lot of movies, like if you're going to watch Citizen Kane or you're going to watch this movie or different classic movies, you almost need to put your mind in a certain frame of reference because a lot of times it may look cheesy or old or antiquated. That was cutting edge stuff at the time. I mean, you know, that was cutting edge technology. Oh, the police can zero in using a transponder on the bottom of a car. And, you know, yeah. So and I'm, I'm kind of glad you appreciated the value of what they were trying to do and communicate, you know, back in the day. And there's a scene in the prison when he learns out the Ma has died that is so <laughs> over the top. It's kind of funny. Yeah. He doesn't just like grab his head and scream. He rolls around on the table on top of everyone's food. They're eating in the mess hall. At the prison. He freaks out because his mom is dead. He's rolling around on this table, crawling, screaming. He's grabbing every guard he can and punching him out. The old Hollywood one punch and you're unconscious kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And 
you know that Hitler meme where everyone uses a clip from the Hitler movie where they give Hitler some bad news, like the Falcons blew the lead in Super Bowl. Is that the one that asks everyone to get out of the room? Asks everyone to yeah, get out of the room yeah. and goes nuts. You could do the same thing with this clip. Have someone whisper whatever bad news you want to Cagney and just have him freak out and roll around on yep. the table and all these mashed potato plates and everything else. Oh, this yeah. is just such a funny scene. Cool. And at the very end, too, I'll point out, I had to look up some history of the Joker because I think he almost turns into some sort of proto-Joker as we know it. Because near the end of the scene when he's in the chemical plant, he's laughing, he's maniacal. He's very different than we've ever seen him very before. Very different. He's just cackling and shooting. and To me, it's like he has bro- he's unbound. He's broken now. He snapped, and it's all, it's all over. He, there's, this is a one-way ticket, and he knows where it's going, and he's going to go out as big as possible. He's smirking, and like I said, he's just laughing maniacally at the cops, and then he blows himself up and blows up most of the plant. Yeah. But I looked up, Joker did not have an origin until 52. Ah, okay. And this movie came out in 49. Yeah. And the origin they gave the Joker in 1952 is the chemical plant, where wow. he falls into the vat after a big shootout with the cops that's and comes great, out scarred up. That's a great catch, Adam. I think this movie had an impact on that. Yeah, that's really cool. Absolutely. All right, and then for the last movie, I gave Matt Nocturnal Animals. Yes. Um. So... I had seen the previews for this movie. I really wanted to watch it. Didn't have the opportunity to watch it in theaters. Um, it came out. Adam graciously gave it to me. Uh, probably because he kn- he knew I would hate some of the underlying themes of this movie. <laughs> that was part of it. And the other part is that I think for 2016, this might be the movie I had the most to chew on. I really thought about this movie a long time after I saw it. Yeah. It, so... Um, General thoughts on the movie is uh, I liked it. I, I mean, I don't know if I would watch it again. If that, I'd probably watch it again. Um, but it, there's just uncomfortable points in it, at least for me. And well, let's set it up a little bit. All right. Because it's new. It's on iTunes this week. You should it check is. it out. We're not going to spoil the endings because it's this. there's two endings here. This is a story within a story. I would go so far as to say there's three ongoing narratives at one point in time great and they're all heading towards very specific endings that we won't get into because i want you to see this movie yeah but the gist of it is that you had a couple that were together they were married he was a jake gyllenhaal plays a writer he does yes couple that was married um they split uh under less than ideal circumstances um and sometime later he sends her his book And the important thing in this movie is that she starts reading the book. And I think we see the book through her mind's eye because she pictures the lead as Jake Gyllenhaal as she knew him. Yeah. And his wife as her. But not played by her. This is. Right. Yeah. So she's going through this novel that he's written and she's not seen him in some time. And Jake Gyllenhaal plays both her ex-husband in real life, but also the protagonist of this novel that she's envisioning as she reads. Right. So, um, I mean, it tries. The movie's one beautiful, and I don't want to. I don't want to get in too much without giving stuff away because um, I think it'd be pretty easy to give stuff away if I said too much. I don't want to do that. Um, one, Amy Adams, great. Um, I liked her better in Arrival. I just thought, yeah. Um, but so I'm trying to think about how to describe it without giving too much away. So first, let me talk about the 
the actors, Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, I, I think for me at least, your comment about Amy Adams, about do we just take it for granted when she's in the movie, she's going to be great, right? That's kind of how I feel about him. Yeah, I can see that, especially with Demolition last year. Like, Demolition's a pretty bad movie. It's a bad movie. But Gyllenhaal's good in it. Gyllenhaal's good in it, and I thought he was good in this movie. But for me, Michael Shannon stole every single scene he was in. That's what Michael Shannon does. Right, but, I mean, this was, he was playing a grizzled Texas ranger, I guess. And he's in the story part of the movie. Yeah, he's in the story part. And, I mean, it is... I don't think it's, I mean, I think from the trailer, I think it's obvious to tell that they're trying to track these people down. Something, something happened. He's on a hunt for people. Right. Uh, And he keeps asking Gyllenhaal's character, like, you know, can you identify these people or will you testify against them in court or whatever? And every time Gyllenhaal's character says, yes, Tony says, yes. Just Shannon gets this grin on his face. He just goes, good. <laughs> I mean, it's like there's sheer joy in every, I mean, it was just, it was really good. Um, I'll be honest. I hadn't seen, what is it? Single men, a, a single, single man, man yeah. a single man by Tom Ford. So this is the first Tom Ford movie I'd seen. I know he was a designer and kind of turned director. Um, the, I mean, the movie was looked beautiful. Um, and I think it does a good job of, I think it did a really good job of, of kind of handling these three narratives that were going on at one point in time. It never felt strange. And there was a lot of uh, nice tricks as far as to bring symmetry to the two. If but someone's nothing, taking a shower, someone else is taking a shower. And and here's one thing I really liked about the movie is that the story is being used as a mechanism to kind of bridge the gap between two characters. They haven't seen each other in a while. Right. The story is a way for him to sort of tell his feelings for what happened in the past, but there's nothing on the nose. I don't think anything's overwritten. There's no direct ties. No, there's a lot for you to think about and gather without giving you the easy answers. No. And I think it becomes more clear as the movie goes along. Right. Cause before you're like, well, this is all right. So she may have heard him, something happened. And then as it goes on and, and things, you know, are revealed, I guess, then you, it, it doesn't hit you over the head, but, you get hit over the head with it. Like there's this aha moment. Like this guy may not like somebody. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. you know, I mean, there's that, that, that definite moment when you're like, all right, I get it now. I, I get this. At least for me, there was that moment. I understand. I understand all of this now. Another thing I really liked about this movie is that we're seeing how a story affects two particular people. Cause the story is going to come out to the public. It's going to be a novel. Everyone's going to read it. Everyone's going to think what they're going to think. No one's going to have the experience of the guy that wrote it and why he wrote it. Yeah. But we're learning that because we're seeing it in this movie. And then no one else is going to have the experience that she has because of what this novel means to her because of their past. So we're te- seeing two unique point of views on what a story is and what it can do to them. Yeah, essentially it's like the lifting of the curtain on like a book that you've read where you went, man, what must have that person have gone through to write that book? Right? What wh- What is the foundation of that? And it's showing you that foundation, I think, along with the story that resulted from it. And I think that's that's great because, I mean, anyone that's, you know, I've personally read a ton of books where you're just like, I don't know how, you know, where did this come from? What happened in this person's personal life to, to lead to this kind of 
art expression. And this kind of, you know, pulls back the curtain on that. So I really liked it. Yeah. And, and the old, but adage. I don't know if I would watch it again. I mean, I, I will watch it again, but it's one of those, you have to be kind of emotionally prepared to watch after I already know what's coming. So at least for me. And awesome. the old adage too, that, you know, it's pain that can bring great art. And that's why rockers maybe don't write great songs when they're in their fifties and have four houses. No, I, well, and I think we, we had a brief conversation about this and I said, no, I, I kind of get it. I play guitar, I play guitar in a band. Um, and if I have been emotionally injured by someone else, I can sit a guitar and music flows, new music that, you know, just from me now, if I am emotionally, um, harmed by something I did, if I'm feeling I did something, it dries up. So it's almost like it has to be an external pain and then it just comes. So, yeah. And I haven't seen it, but I'm very much looking forward to Nocturnal Animals. It's on iTunes. Like I said this week, I recommend everyone check it out and it's definitely worth a conversation. Oh, it's a conversation. All right. So time for new assignments. Uh, anyone want to go first? Well, I'll jump in. I have Roger this week. Uh, oh, boy. February is Women in Horror Month. So, Roger, you're going to get a horror movie. I figured. And this one is one of my favorites from the last couple of years. Written and directed by a female. It's her first movie. And it is The Babadook. And it's, and it's on, on Netflix. Netflix. Yep, yeah. it's Netflix. on Netflix. Yeah, it's on Netflix. And, you know, uh, I heard some friends, of, not friends of mine, but a podcast I really like, review The Babadook. And... Uh, it almost got me to watch it. <laughs> well, now I'm forcing you to. <laughs> okay. And if you forget the name of the movie, just think of the Muppet song. <laughs> the Babadook. Okay, The Babadook. Awesome. Um, I, I'll give you yours, Adam. So, for, for those of you that don't know, anytime Roger and, and and I have to give Adam movies every week. It is so such a chore. It is so hard. Um. Roger probably has an advantage because he likes older cinema, um, you know, 30s, 40s. And if there's a genre that Adam probably hasn't seen, it's probably within there. I, on the other hand, um, like it's just, it's painful. It's really hard to try to find something. But I think we have found something. Um, so the movie I'm giving you, Adam, is Pale Rider. All right. I looked. It's on Amazon for rent, so I can grab it from there. It is. It is uh, on Amazon two ninety nine, iTunes two ninety nine, or YouTube for two ninety nine rental. Awesome. And uh, I didn't even check with Matt to see. He may have seen this movie, so I don't know. We'll see. But uh, it was released in nineteen thirty five. He's probably not seen it. <laughs> I'm going to say I probably haven't seen it. And uh, a little I, bit before my time. Roger. I always pick. I I never sign a movie that I hate. It's always a movie I love, and for a particular reason. And this stars uh, one superstar of the time, and one actor who I think is the most under one of the most underappreciated actors of his generation, which is Charles Lawton. Uh, it also stars Clark Gable. You may have seen it, but it's Mutiny on the Bounty, the original 1935 edition. I have not seen this movie, Roger. Excellent. Okay. And it is available on Amazon for $3.99 to rent. Um, that should be a good print for you. And it's not it's not the one with Brando in 62. Yeah. Charles um, Lawton and Clark Gable. I yes. gotcha. So, and uh, I think Charles Lawton... Um, he did the Island of Lost Souls, which is the best uh, Dr. Moreau movie of all time in 1932. 
Um, he was Javar in Les Mis in 1935. Incredible performance. The best hunchback ever in, on film in 1939. And he's most known for Spartacus 1960 as, uh, I can't remember the name of the, of the uh, senator that he plays. But anyway. Gracchus. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I love Charles Lawton. I think he's an amazing actor. And this is one of his seminal performances as the captain of the ship. And Clark Gable's his first mate. So, yeah, I mean, you may hate it, but uh, I... I, I I I just can't believe somebody would not have that in their filmography, Mutiny on the Bounty, 1935. So there it is. I will check it out. Thank you. And Roger, I'm still making my mental list for future picks for you. I learned last week you've not seen Tremors. I have not. <laughs> so this week yes. I'm going to ask, have you seen Metropolis? Yes. it's. Okay. I, I think it's, I almost signed Metropolis to Matt, but I figured oh, he'd probably seen it. Seen it. Oh, I, I've not only have I seen it numerous times at my house, we actually went to a showing of the full restored as much as yes. they could film. So we yeah. actually, yeah. yeah. I, I've seen it at Kappa when they did the summer movie series. And then I also own it as well too. A similar, that would be a great, I, anytime you want to do a, a uh, podcast on an old classic film, that would be a great also one have to discuss. Two lint, uh, Laurent Daru Metropolis uh, movie posters in my house. <laughs> nice. So yeah, I'm a big fan. Awesome. Okay. Well, that'll do it for movie homework. All right, we'll be right back with our closing remarks. And we're back and we're going to close up this week's episode of the Film Coterie. And uh, just with some closing remarks, uh, Adam, give us a preview. What's coming up this week on our website and also with uh, uh, our movie of the week for next week that we're going to review. Next week is looking like the Great Wall. We can finally learn why they're trying to keep Matt Damon out of China. Because if you look <laughs> at the poster, it'll say, what was it built to keep out? The next word on the poster is Matt Damon. In big, bold letters, Matt Damon. So that's my my hope, is I can learn why they want to keep Matt Damon out of China. Oh, goodness. I Listen, I know the movie's not going to be about that, but if we went into that movie and it was literally them trying to keep Matt Damon out and that's why it was built, I it will be a great cinematic experience. Instant classic. <laughs> Instant uh, classic. It, it, comedy. Instant. It would be great. Uh, next week, we'll also have our next edition of Decade Do-Over, and we're time-traveling back to 1991. 1991. So if you if you get on IMDb or Google 1991 movies, uh, if, you, if you have one that you fondly remember and you'd like to chime in, I'll try to put something up on Facebook, and I'll try to put something up on our website. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, the listening audience. What is your uh, classic, famous, what do you like from 1991 movie? Yeah, play along at home. Was 1991 the first time they had nudity in a PG-13 movie? Um, I have no idea. I mean, the PG-13 rating wasn't that old by that point. <coughs> it was not. The only reason I say is I'm scrolling through, just scrolling through 91 movies, and I see Doc Hollywood. Oh. And that was the first film I can ever remember watching that was PG-13, and it had a quick, like, Frontal nudity, female frontal nudity. Just yeah. bang. PG-13, you're allowed a quick flash of nudity, and you're allowed one F word. 
Yeah, but that was the, that was the first one I ever remember seeing that they went the nudity yeah. way. Not I, I, the I, I way. remember I remember that as well too. Yeah. And it wasn't like it was just like what her walking out of a pond or something or walking yeah, into. I can't. Or I mean, I can't even remember what it was. I just yeah. remember being shocked because uh, I was seeing it with my parents because you know I was like, I was younger, <laughs> and uh, my mom just kind of looking over like, what? What just happened? What? What was this? Oh my God, Matt has seen a boob. His life will forever be ruined. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> Sorry to sorry to to veer us off track. That's oh, okay. No problem. Awesome. Uh, we're still putting out a lot of content on our website, filmcoterie.com. Yeah. Uh, every Friday, too, on top of the podcast release, we put up two articles: what to stream, which will give you some options to view at home, and also now showing, which will tell you our opinion of what to see in theaters, which will be John Wick too. We're going to confidently recommend this movie. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. Anything else? That's all I got. Okay. Uh, is there, so follow us on the website, right? Uh, filmcoterie.com. Follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at film coterie. And we'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you think of the show. Like love, hate, uh, uh, there are segments you like. Awesome. Let us know segments you hate. Don't do this anymore. Let us know. Uh, we want you to be participating with us in the show. So uh, that's going to do it for this week. We'll see you guys next time on the film coterie.